Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Yes, and a very good morning from Lalita Chalaya at the home today after a bit of a short break, being a little bit unwell over the last um, fortnight. But I um, hope all of you are well. It's a nice, lovely spring morning. And um, it's uh, sunny as well, which is good. Uh, they're expecting rain later on today. So let's hope we all have a good day. But, and what a week we've had. We've got all sorts of things happening, um, including things like East Timor. Um, and you, we've had the Northern Territory elections and heaps of things happening. Um, So I thought today we will look at something in our backyard, and we have um, Jacob Rumbiak. Jacob Rumbiak is the Minister for Trade and Foreign Affairs for the uh, government of West Papua, and the ministers are spread all over the world, from the U.S. to New Zealand. Now, Jacob uh, is uh, located here in Melbourne, and he was um, kind enough to oblige us with an interview to give us a, a bit of a history and an update on what's happening with the West Papua. And as we know that the Australian government has been active in supporting Indonesia's right or West Papua. But let's listen to Jacob, who um, is the Minister of Foreign Affairs and Trade for West Papua. And we, of course, we have um, another another interview at 8:30, and in between we'll look at some trade union issues. So here we go. We're going to hear from Jacob Rumbiak, who is the Foreign Minister for Trade and Foreign Affairs for the Republic of West Papua. In 2015, June, the Melanesian Spearhead Group had admitted uh, West Papua into the uh, Spearhead Group. And this is because they have been working extremely hard to be included politically into a process in the West Papuan area. So a question to Jacob is that how did you campaign to become part of the Melanesian Spearhead Group? And why did you do that? I wonder if you can explain that, Jacob. Uh, Our um, founding movement, they already uh, put it the idea for independence since uh, 1936. And... uh, when that was uh, uh, 1960, uh, we came with the first Congress in uh, West Papua. They uh, elect the uh, the Parliament uh, uh, came with the uh, embryo of an uh, independent country. They set up a national anthem, our flag, Monster uh, flag, and our uh, symbol of the uh, country. And the movement is uh, going for a long time. Uh, uh, since uh, uh, UN involved or global policy in 1960s, because uh, the Cold War, uh, it influenced uh, uh, two uh, superpower, America and uh, Russia, to transfer West Papua to Indonesia. So we lose when the Cold Act of Rejoice 1969. Uh, it's not real. So they're caught between the two superpowers. Yeah, that's uh, so. Uh, those uh, decision made is not Papua. Mm. 
But that's a true superpower that put pressure to the Dutch to transfer West Papua to Indonesia without uh, following or fulfill the principle of the United Nations. So it was part of an agreement? I mean, what are the reasons? That's agreement. They yeah. came with the called New York Agreement in 1962. And uh, by that agreement, uh, they transferred West Papua to Indonesia first uh, of May 1963. And then West Papua kept under Indonesia for six years. Mm-hmm. Normally, the principle of UN, uh, West Papua should under the UN direct, not under Indonesia or Dutch, because both of them is a problem. They fight for West Papua, uh, part of them. So uh, that's a, a mistake uh, by uh, global uh, you know, uh, policy. So at the time, we didn't know that uh, uh, we already controlled by uh, global uh, power. So we struggled for 50 years for nothing. We wait uh, uh, those help us like Dutch. Uh, we look East Timor, they get independent because Portuguese direct involved in uh, uh, helping them. Helping them. Yeah. But we West Papua no, because Indonesia uh, always blame that Dutch is a long colonized of Indonesia, 350 years. So they have like a moral guilty. So Dutch can't do something to Papua. And the Dutch didn't help them at all. No, ones. not at all. Yeah. So uh, we thought that uh, only we can, going for the right way, we must ca- come with uh, our real and clear identity. Yes. And then by uh, clear identity, we can help by uh, promise to give independence to all nations in the world based on international principle, yes. can guarantee, based mm-hmm. on Indonesian constitution, guarantee that independence is the right of all nations. We wish purpose Melanesia, not Indonesian or Malay. That's why we came with an uh, agreement after uh, our former leader came and then they failed because a uh, big uh, internal uh, fight. And uh, 2013, when uh, we all uh, enrolled in uh, MEC, but the MEC leader still uh, uh, looked at uh, uh, West Papua, not yet united. So... Tell us more about the Melanesian Spearhead Group. Who yes, is in uh, that's why um, uh, since 2014, uh, July, uh, MSG leader, Melanesian Spearhead Group leader, the member of uh, MSG is uh, Papua New Guinea, Fiji, Solomon, Vanuatu, and Kanak from New Caledonia. That's four nations. Four nations. they calling West Papua to unite. So uh, we have uh, three main political uh, movement is a uh, West Papua National Coalition for Liberation. Uh, second is a uh, Parliament of uh, National of West Papua. And uh, number third is a uh, Federal Republic of West Papua coming from. At the time, the leader of MSG uh, calling for West Papua to unite. So Papua, uh, Vanuatu government, churches and tribe council, and also PCC, Pacific uh, uh, conference churches, they facilitate uh, three main political uh, movements in Southwest Papua to uh, come with a, a resolution uh, on uh, 6th of December 2014. Uh, we signed agreement, so we came with uh, the consultation body we call United Liberation Movement for West Papua. So this body now uh, take responsible to uh, run international uh, lobbying, work with uh, our uh, council 
leader based inside. Uh, so uh, council and executive, uh, both of them is a um, decision maker. Also they put a, a national agenda, a local agenda and international agenda. Uh, I myself, uh, I'm a um, foreign affairs of the uh, Federal Republic of West Papua, but also I'm a one of executive officer of United Liberation Movement for West Papua. Mm-hmm. So now we come to international level, we only use this uh, body, uh, United Liberation Movement for West Papua. Uh, after we sign agreement and uh, uh, we enroll to uh, MSC Secretariat in uh, Port Vila uh, on uh, February 2015. Five months later, we uh, uh, recognize as an observer status. Uh, so that's one very important uh, point is that uh, we already in, we so recognize by MSC, so we have status there. It's a big step, isn't it? Yes. Uh, and uh, we should understand that say, MSC, they are also member of uh, United Nations. Mm-hmm. So automatically we have uh, support by legal citizen country member of UN. Uh, it's not enough there because uh, we West Papua uh, agenda and our struggle is for uh, set up uh, nation state. Yeah. So for so going... You want complete independence. Yes. yes. So uh, to going uh, at the way to get the aim, of course, uh, we should follow or we should fulfill requirement of established nation state country uh, based on principle of UN. Uh, it means we should have support from uh, our side, uh, sub-regional MEC, and it's going to regional Pacific. Uh, just uh, uh, two months ago, uh, 15th of uh, July this year, um, uh, our status full member is uh, only postponed, but that's a technical uh, process. Uh, because Indonesia worked hard to influence uh, maybe one or two of official of a uh, secretary general of MEC member mm-hmm. to change the reduction of uh, um, constitution when MEC was born in 1988. So they make sure they bring back the reduction to original uh, constitution. So we hope that uh, next month uh, we will become full member. But uh, uh, good news is... Uh, after our status uh, postponed to September, uh, Excellency Prime Minister of Solomon, uh, Mr. Sogafare, uh, he's used his status as a chairman of MEC until next year, and he's, he just got a, a position as a chairman of a Pacific Island Development Forum for one year. So he set up what uh, we call um, Pacific Coalition, uh, so, uh, Melanesian country uh, work close with the uh, Polynesian and Micronesian country, and I hope that say 27 of this month uh, they will come with a, a draft resolution in Hawaii uh, to uh, prepare uh, uh, the document to West Papua get support by Pacific Island Forum in the Marshall Island uh, between uh, 7 to 9 of September, and from there uh, they will. Uh, organize a uh, big uh, uh, conference in New York before um, uh, UN Assembly Council uh, meeting in New York. Uh, so uh, coalition, Pacific Coalition can uh, work 
uh, hard to how they can uh, also get support from Africa Caribbean. And uh, now they're still uh, ongoing to uh, lobbying uh, uh, Europe. Do you have a community event or campaign you'd like to announce on radio? Maybe your group would like to take a tour of 3CR and find out how community radio works. Are you in a band and would like to record a demo? Or maybe there are people in your workplace or activist organisation who would like to undergo media skills training. 3CR is a resource for the community and offers community announcements, station tours, studio hire and media skills workshops at affordable prices. For more information, contact 3CR on 9419 or go to our website www.3cr.org.au. If you have just tuned in, you're listening to Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR at 5.5 on your AM dial. I'm Lalita Chalaya, the host for this program this Saturday. This interview is with Mr. Jacob Rumbiak, who is a foreign minister, foreign minister and a trade minister for the West Papuan government. So we shall continue with the interview. Great. So you've got a few steps yet to go through once the... Your um, position within the uh, MSG has yes. been confirmed. Yes. You're going to try and get into the Pacific, Pacific group as well. Yes. And then the, another step from there is it's to... Africa, Af- Caribbean. Afro-Caribbean. Caribbean and Pacific. They call ACP. Yep. Uh, uh, this uh, uh, this uh, May and early of June, uh, we try to push the case uh, when uh, ACP meeting in Port uh, Moresby. Mm-hmm. But because uh, draft resolution is didn't uh, prepare in uh, Geneva, uh, uh, Brussels, on uh, uh, this February, so uh, I hope that they already prepare uh, end of uh, July uh, in in uh, Brussels. So um, Africa, Caribbean, Pacific, they will uh, come with uh, one resolution with the uh, um, Europe uh, Union around uh, uh, early or middle of uh, October. But the, the event now um, very important to us, uh, West Papua now, is uh, how uh, we can get a, a full member in uh, early of next month. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that um, I, I wanted to ask you is, given that Indonesia still claims West Papua to, its ter- to be its territory, has there been any reaction from Indonesia to the processes that are unfolding that you becoming a member of the MSG? Have oh. they said anything? Oh, yes. They work very hard. With, uh, we call uh, 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 money politics mm-hmm. because only for uh, 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 influence uh, Papua New Guinea and Fiji, because all these two countries until now still uh, controlled by Jakarta. Oh, yes. So uh, when I'm not wrong, uh, before uh, uh, we, we West Papua have uh, observed status, uh, they try to uh, use money. Uh, the uh, document we got from inside is uh, around uh, three billion US dollar. So they took money from uh, five provinces they call uh, Melanesians. Uh, people in five provinces, so uh, they call uh, West Papua, Papua, also Maluku, um, North Maluku, and 
Flores. They work hard to uh, influence Fiji and Papua New Guinea by bribe them. Mm. Uh, and uh, it's very tough, but uh, we're very lucky because in last minute, uh, Prime Minister Gafare, also uh, his uh, uh, friend from uh, Vanuatu and Kanak, stand strong to uh, support West Papua, so they influence uh, Papua New Guinea and Fiji to compromise. Uh, this time is uh, we nearly lose uh, uh, last month. Prime Minister Sogafare is very angry and uh, he called for they should back to uh, uh, face constitution because uh, MEC was born based on this constitution to uh, support all Melanesian territory under colonial to get independent by self-determination, and that should go in by um, decolonization. Yes, uh, we West Papua nearly failed uh, this July because uh, our Indonesian work hard to influence uh, some of um, uh, official of a uh, uh, member of a secretariat of a MSG, and they changed redaction of a constitution of uh, MSC when MSC was born in uh, Goroka on uh, March 1988. MSC was born to um, become placed to support uh, the territory and the people of Melanesia still under colonial to get independent by UN principle. Uh, so um, this reduction, they changed it uh, to mention that uh, only full member of MSC is a uh, independent country. So when uh, MEC leader, they're going to uh, follow this uh, uh, new redaction, and it's opposed with principle of uh, MEC was born. Uh, so uh, uh, Prime Minister Sogafari as a chairman, he calling for uh, the meeting will be in uh, Vanuatu. Uh, after uh, uh, legal aid of uh, MEC should change uh, the reduction uh, infiltrate to destroy the uh, uh, principle of uh, was born of uh, MEC. So we believe that uh, uh, West Papuan full member only postponed. Uh, based on uh, this information, uh, we believe that uh, uh, only that's a technical um, uh, process, but Based on uh, administration, we waste property in. You were saying something with the Afghan case before. Yes. Uh, MEC was born uh, because uh, MEC leader thinking that uh, they should stand for support uh, uh, FLN case. Uh, that's why when um, they follow the new reduction mentioned that a full member of MEC is an independent country and then uh, it will also betrayed uh, FLN KS. So uh, at the time they set up MEC to support FLN KS from Kanak. So when if it can going for support Kanak, why not about West Papua? Mm. That's why they, they changed it uh, so that West Papua and Kanak together uh, to be part of a full member of MEC. Uh, MEC leader now they prepare uh, all agenda that's infrastructure and all uh, thing to a Kanak referendum 
in March uh, 2018. Okay. Yeah. So do, given the, that the Indonesians are very against West Papua getting independent, do you expect any violence from them? Uh, we West Papua already uh, uh, violated by Indonesia for a long time. Mm. We lose nearly one million people, mm. killed, uh, in prison, disappeared, tortured, raped, mm. our house uh, fire, our garden, our uh, you know, our resources also keep control by them. Mm. So, of course, uh, all uh, illegal way they use for how create fear to Papuan, but I think it can uh, make Papuan's people they uh, scare mm. because uh, when we start struggle in 1965 uh, with the military uh, arms, until we just change. 2014 uh, in diplomatic way. So by this diplomatic and people power, we look this, they already lose. They try to create, the, you know, uh, they call militia like East Timor, but difficult because we have a strong social control inside uh, based on our, our custom, work close with the religion, uh, also with the, uh, close with the uh, uh, women, close with the academic student, uh, grassroots youth, and also uh, pro-democracy of Indonesia. So we're lucky because uh, uh take long, uh, since the formation in Indonesia 1999, and it's got time for referendum, we West Papua learn by how Indonesian create militia in East Timor, and they killed each other. Around 200,000 must move to Indonesia side. So based on that experience, bad experience in East Timor, uh, I used to talk with uh, other leader inside to keep strong our uh, social control. Mm. Also, uh, we lucky because now those involved is uh, all uh, young student movement. They're very educated. So like we have in Java, is around 20,000 student movement there, Java, Bali. Sulawesi, we have around 16,000, north and south. Uh, and all in uh, Papua is uh, in a private university, but we have uh, two state universities mm. and work closely with all grassroots. So inside, uh, all uh, three poli main political movements, uh, uh, Federal Republic of West Papua, West Papua National Coalition for Liberation, uh, National Parliament of West Papua, uh, these three main groups, they have uh, affiliated with uh, people power student movement, youth, women, religion, uh, NGOs from Indonesia, uh, pro-democracy from Indonesia. And also we have a link outside in uh, Europe, in America, in Pacific, Australia, New Zealand, Africa. So uh, it's going very, very well. IPAN is inviting you to attend its anti-war conference and join the Close Pine Gap protests from the 26th of September to the 2nd of October in Alice Springs. Pine Gap facilitates US war activities, international espionage and their killer drone program. It's time to stop the drift to war and free Australia from US military bases. For more information on the IPAN conference, go to ipan.org.au and for protest details, see closepinegap.org. IPAN is a 3CR supporter. If you have just tuned in, you're listening to Solidarity Breakfast on 3CR at 55 on your AM dial. 
I'm Lalita Chalaya, the host for this program this Saturday. This interview is with Mr. Jacob Rumbiak, who is a foreign minister, foreign minister and a trade minister for the West Papuan government. We shall continue with the interview. Very well organized. Very well organized. That's <laughs> why uh, I think uh, MEC leader, they, they're proud. That, uh, they look the first time how uh, the movement works very, very, very well. Yeah. Uh, because we not only control our people, but we also try to uh, protect Indonesian civilian people in West Papua. Mm. Because independence of West Papua is not for West Papua but to protect those who want to stay there. Of course. And we also have uh, a priority agenda, middle, short, and uh, long-term agenda. They have a, a priority in each uh, agenda. Uh, so uh, we hope that uh, uh, we will go in for. But very important is uh, uh, the movement will become reality. Mm. When but you're going very well at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we understand that it can going well when three actors they work very harmonious. People inside West Papua must organize the themselves, uh, work closely with uh, democratic uh, people from Indonesia, but also uh, West Papua democratic uh, supporter in Indonesia work close with the international support. Mm-hmm. So we look at three elements they work very close. And now the leadership is uh, uh, take control by United Liberation Movement for West Papua. Too. So you're very well organized with all the leadership everywhere. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And uh, three of them also uh, back up by what we call teamwork inside yes. from three groups. Mm-hmm. So these three groups, they work with uh, uh, grassroots people, of course, from ch- uh, religion, from women, from uh, Students. Customers, children, yeah. all, and also they uh, collect data. Mm-hmm. Uh, so are they linked with the uh, media? Are they linked with uh, uh, people? Are they linked with uh, uh, organized people power? Mm. One question I was going to ask you is, how has the response uh, from the Australian government been? Yeah, uh, uh, until until now, uh, what I hear from uh, Julia Bishop. She and the government uh, still recognize uh, uh, West Papua as part of uh, Indonesia. Indonesia. So but they're not budging on that question. Yes, but I also want to... Uh, they should not repeat something they did wrong to East Timor. Yes. Because we West Papua, I say we are victim of Australia, New Zealand, and because these America allies, mm. they sacrifice West Papua to protect Asia Pacific from communism. Yes. So I hope this government, when they want to look future of uh, Indonesia, they should look future of West Papua because this benefit for West Papua and Indonesia. I I want to give a message to Canberra that uh, they helped his Timor only in last time, but whose hero is not government? The people push pressure to the government, and then later, his Timor they lose their oil. Mm. But we West Papua, we have a lot of oil and gas. We have uh, gold and copper, giant copper and gold on the world. We can give to, we can guarantee future when 
We want to look economy and trade in passion. Which papa we rich? You'll be very um, independent economically, wouldn't you? Yes. Mm, and strong. So and that's not a problem for you. No problem. And then, of course, uh, I believe that uh, when we wish papa independent, we will stand to support uh, Australia and New Zealand, especially for solving, you know, international problem is a refugee. We are a rich country. Mm. So our future is very clear. Our priority is education, health, uh, food. Of course, we have uh, our natural resources are very rich. And the environment. Our environment. And it's got uh, a unique, unique environment. Unique. Yeah. So, of course, we will stand together to make up uh, future uh, Australia and New Zealand. So uh, what we need is, uh, please, uh, government also understand that we are victim of uh, Australia and New Zealand, and that's part of America allies, only for protect answers. Hmm. That's already real. That's in the history. Now, uh, lastly, how can people who are listening to this interview help your country? In the office, we have a brochure for uh, distribute to those. Uh, and second is also, uh, I believe that uh, other newspapers also want to expose uh, what the uh, office want, want to do, but uh, uh, I look that a big pressure from Jakarta to always, you know, remind Canberra to not allow other, you know, media to um, campaign or explain about what we need. Mm. West Papua, we have an office in uh, Dockland. That's office of uh, Federal Republic of West Papua, but also it's operate uh, agenda of United Liberation Movement for West Papua. And I hope that uh, uh, when uh, some people want to help, make Jakarta still want to go and find a way. But the special autonomy already failed. And Jakarta also always said that uh, they want to meet with who's, who's West Papua leader, and who's the organization? But today I want to tell that we have United Liberation Movement for West Papua, recognized by Pacific leader, also recognized by Africa and Caribbean. They uh, supported those who want to support. Please help. Something very important is uh, how we look future f- not for independent West Papua. I always said independent is small. Mm. To come with our brilliant idea to involved in uh, in process to get our vision and mission is a look after the world peace and justice. Mm -hmm. So I believe that when we West Papua independent, uh, positive impact will come for Australia, Pacific, West Papua, but also Indonesia can get benefit Mm -hmm. because we look future is not for West Papua but future also for Indonesia. Okay, thank you very much, Sheka. That's a great interview. And <clears throat> excuse me, that was Jacob Rumbiak, who is the Minister for Foreign Affairs, Immigration and Trade for the Federal Republic of West Papua. And there are many ways um, you can support uh, this fight back by the West Papuans. Uh, firstly, you can go to freewestpapua.org website. There's another website called um, Freedom Flotilla West Papua, one word. Org. And you can also um, contact your politicians and 
ask that, you know, the um, politician uh, uh, take the issue into Parliament and um, raise the issue with the Indonesian human rights uh, Indian, uh, in relation to the Indonesian human rights abuses in West Papua. And also, of course, the UN Special Committee of Decolonization in two, 2016 um, you know, the request is that um, the politicians put pressure on Julie Bishop to do this. But unless you contact your local politicians, this won't happen. And you can also get active um, as an individual. And there's a email as well. It's frwp, that is really the Federal Republic of West Papua, dot volunteers at gmail.com. Now, they, they are supported by a group of Australians who donate $1 a day to pay the rent for the office at Docklands. Uh, that's where they entertain their uh, visitors and volunteers, and they have um, get-togethers and open days, and it's um, a, a well-worthwhile cause. Being our neighbours, I guess we all need to have a look at what's happening um, to our neighbours. So if you are interested, there are all the... Um, contact points and if you go to freewestpapua.org you'll get majority of this information. Welcome back to Solidarity Breakfast and this is Lalita Chalaya at the home taking you through to 9 o'clock. Now I thought we'll spend the next 10 minutes or so looking at an article that um, I found really interesting um, given that there's a uh, fight back at the CUB um, is worth looking at what trade unions are doing around the world. So I've got this article written by Joe Lato, who is a um, editorial coordinator for New International, and it's a, a very interesting article. So I thought I'll just share this with listeners today before we go on to um, announcements. So here we go. She writes... We're here on a busy London street as evening rushes, evening rush hour gridlocks the city to support Robert, a Hungarian waiter at the luxury five-star Malia Hotel who has been sacked. His crime? To question the restaurant's unfair practice of sharing tips on which waiters depend to top up their low wages between senior managers as well as waiting staff. So, not a massive issue for some people, but when you look at the fact that wages have been low for a very long time, in Australia, of course, over the last 18, 16 or 18 years, wages haven't really moved. So Robert had joined the London Hotel Workers branch of Unite, Britain's largest trade union, and through this support found the courage to speak out. And Apparently, in London, many of the hotels, large ones, rich ones, are getting away with murder, exploiting the fact that most hospitality workers are migrants, desperate for jobs and unaware of their rights. Hotel workers in the Philippines, for example, have more collective bargaining rights than those in London, which is an interesting comparison. And this, is, um, this statement was made by Dave Turnbull, the Union Regional, the Unite Regional um, Officer. And of course, more uh, fightbacks are happening across Europe. And Barcelona, uh, undocumented street vendors from Senegal are also fighting for their rights. As illegal immigrants, they cannot join an established union. 
so they have come together to create one for themselves. The Sindicato Popular di Vendedores Ambulante, I hope I've done some justice to that name, but it translates, Popular Union of Street Vendors. Its activity co- concedes um, Clelia Goodchild, whose documentary film El Paso de la Manta features Barcelona street vendors, and it's chaotic because it has no experience, no contacts, and often fails to um, communicate with other members properly. But it's a start. Organizing and collective action, whether with the backing of national union like Robert or the support of a handful of co-workers like the Senegalese street vendors in Barcelona, it must be the 21st century fight back, or so she says in this article. Now, though trade unions have been standing up for workers for nearly 200 years, it's fair to say that they have been on a roller coaster ride. There have been highs, winning an eight-hour day, five-day week, the golden age of the 30s and 40s when employees' rights were enshrined in law in the U.S. and Britain. But there also have been lows, the 80s, Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher, well-known, systematically dismantled trade unions. In a full-scale attack on workers' rights as part of the neoliberal free market agenda. And, of course, this has become an international phenomenon these days. So trade unions have also a proud history of international solidarity. In the 1860s, Lancashire cotton workers supported the unions in the U.S. Civil War. In 1997, dock workers in 27 countries struck for a day in solidarity with Liverpool dockers who have been on strike for two years. But these days the lows seem, out, seem to outnumber the highs, and that's the point of this article. Um, given that that's so much happening even here in Australia, this is more about other countries, and we will try and cover Australian trade unions at another time. Now, governments continue to pass anti-union laws, and this has been an enormous weapon used by majority of the countries in the first world nations who have now been implementing the neoliberal agenda for some time. In '82. 2082 and 2012, 200 restrictive labor laws were passed by federal and provincial governments in Canada. And after 9-11, the U.S. used the war on terror as an opportunity to deny many federal employees the right to unionize, threatening to invoke the anti-terrorism laws to stop strikes. So they have um, amalgamated the anti-terrorism law and anti-union law and conveniently used use it interchangeably. There is a new sense of urgency and optimism, Joe says, um, among many unions who have dusted themselves down and are ready to resume the fight. But which battles and which weapons? Now, there is little doubt that the movement needs to adjust to the new reality, just as the world of work has been transformed. And this is obviously not happening a century ago, for example, there were 1,300 unions in Britain. By 2005, there were just 226, and very similar to Australia, the amalgamations and the uh, reduction in trade unions. Now, in Britain, with the biggest 11, share, 11 of those trade unions sharing three-quarters of the total membership, and this route is still advocated by those who believe that there is power in numbers. It's a Goliath option, bigger is better. But another way has also emerged by the example of grassroots social movements, and this is a key to what the suggestion that is being made by Joe. Rebuilding great 
trade unions from the bottom up provides an opportunity to create smaller, more agile unions. Now, advocates of this approach argue that power comes not from numbers but from consciousness, which has been something that's been said for a very long time, for many, many decades. Unions are wasting their time and money if they use resources simply to recruit new members. What they should be doing is talking to workers and non-workers about local, national and global issues. Unless workers believe that unions are relevant to them and their communities, they won't join one. And she says, so the first challenge is to educate. And this means talking politics. This is nothing new for trade unions, which is from the early days understood they have understood the importance of working-class education in political matters. The GMB Union in Britain consented school board seats are early as... Sorry, the GM, GMB Union in Britain contested school board seats as early as the 1890s. Karl Marx, speaking to the International Working Men's Association 150 years ago, stated that it was the duty of the working class to master themselves the mysteries of international politics to watch the diplomatic acts of their respected governments to counteract them, if necessary, by all means in their power, to combine in simultaneous denunciations and to vindicate the simple laws of morals of justice. Young people don't see much relevance in trade unions today, and they are cynical about unions and about politics, and we've seen that. And trade unions desperately need young people. So they, the suggestion is being made that the new emerging technologies offer an opportunity for trade unions to recruit young people and trade unions need to adjust and change the ways of recruiting, educating and consolidating this um, new uh, trade union they need to fight back the neoliberal agenda. So I just thought I'll share that um, article with you. For those who are interested, it's, it's actually in the New International uh, magazine, and um, it's actually a really interesting article, a very engaging one. Um, so if you're interested, just go to a New International on the website and you'll find that article. And um, we will have a quick announcement and move on to announcements before Uncle Ken... of Radical Radio includes Radical Music. 3CR's Music Matters continues with this tradition every week by promoting and supporting live, independent Australian music. In November, Music Matters will be three years young and we'd love you to join us in celebrating our third birthday and 3CR's 40th birthday at a benefit gig at the Bella Union on Thursday, 3rd of November. A stellar lineup of artists who perform for Music Matters will be announced soon. So get out your diaries and lock in November the 3rd, when we'll see you at the Bella Union with your dancing shoes on. Okay, on to announcements. Um, you're on Solid After Breakfast. This is Dalita Chalaya at the helm, and we'll go through till 9 o'clock. Now, as I was talking before about trade unions, here's one for people who are interested, and it's a brewery workers fighting for their jobs, 62 maintenance workers who were sacked um, at the CUB uh, have been out for more than eight weeks, and they need your support. 
they have been standing strong um, and they want to get their jobs back at a decent wage. 65% cut in your wage is not not fair, not not funny, um, and is extreme, extremely exploitative, exploitative, as all of us will know. Now, there's a daily protest from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., so please visit the picket line um, if you can. Uh, it's at 77 South Bank Boulevard at the Carlton and United Breweries. And every Thursday they have um, a bit of a celebration or barbecue, so do join them. They will appreciate everyone who turns up. So far it's been going really well, but the fight is continuing. Although there has been some movement um, where the um, company that provided the replacement jobs has withdrawn, so I think the negotiations are still ongoing, and we'll see what happens. And of course, there's the ongoing public house protest that's been going for some time. Bendigo streets where things have started to move and they've been ordered to move, leave the property. And I think they've been given till the end of September to find alternative uh, abode, so to speak. So that's another uh, uh, protest that's um, in flux. So 3rd of September, that's today, we have protests, Wilson Security Boycott. It's probably over now. It was at 8 a.m. this morning. Uh, we'll move on to the next one. There's another uh, 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 um, event, Slut Walk Melbourne, uh, 1 p.m., State Library, and this is a global movement against victim blaming and slut slamming. It's a feminist um, rally, but males are welcome to support the rally, and there should be quite a good mobilization today. And another event happening today is um, Memorial Meeting for Bob Roost, Gathered to remember long-time maritime unionist and progressive actors, active, activist Bob, who passed very recently. And there's a 2 p.m. Bella Union Trades Hall, Lycon Street. And there's also a public meeting, Henry Reynolds, Unnecessary Wars. Um, Australia has a history of um, heading easily, as a history of heading easily into war without properly considering the consequences. So this renowned historian traces the history of these unnecessary wars and from the Boer War to Iraq to Afghanistan. So those who are interested, um, it's Kevin Foster will be there, and it's at 4 p.m., Acme Cinema, 1 Federation Square. Uh, public Forum, uh, a musician from Sri Lanka, Jayatilaka Bandara, who sings both in Tamil and Sinhalese, has been a, a long-term supporter of um, Tamil rights in Sri Lanka and um, a group called Free uh, um, Progressive Human Rights Supporters have brought this musician to Australia. For those who are interested, please support this event at the Glen Waverley Community Centre, 700 Waverley Road, Glen Waverley. Um, there are plenty of tickets available, but um, now that the the main tickets are sold, some of the tickets are being given away free. So please, uh, if you're free, do attend and support this um, man who has been a long-time supporter and has been arrested several times in Sri Lanka for his cause. Tomorrow, September 4th, Sunday, um, can refugees can the refugee narrative be shifted? This is... Um, Madeline Gleason, Abdul Karim Ahmed, Jamila Rizvi, and Anil Zabli deconstruct the public perception of refugees and asylum seekers. How can we shift the narrative? So this is being held at Fed Square um, with Ruby Hamad, 11.30 a.m. today. So if you turn up at um, 
Fed Square, you'll find your way into the building and you'll find the spot. And decolonizing forum, Australia to Israel. Um, Gary Foley speaking, uh, Claire Land, Sari Zananiri, Neva Grunzweig, chaired by um, Jordi Silverstone, 6 p.m. today, Drill Hall, 26 Theory Street in the city. And it's all proceeds go to the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, briefly called WAR. And um, there was, there's a public meeting, 11th of September, um, Struggle Chile. So 43 years of struggle, resistance and solidarity um, at 11 a.m., corner of Ligon Street and Victoria Street at the Trades Hall. So there's um, heaps of things happening if you want to attend. Now let's go on to... Uncle Kevin Haley, the week that was, who's our regular satirist. A weak solidarity, Bricky Team Lister, when hate to start so depressingly this morning, but sadly, this evil CFMEU official, well, we know the very name CFMEU and being a member of is synonymous with evil. This organiser was placed on a two-year bond and fined $1,000 on Friday last week. Now, let's go back slightly. Last week, we talked about calling good workers, whom the Troublewazi Capitalist Review described as workers who just want to go to work, scabs. How a sensible, fair work, Troublewazi, no longer work choices just looks like it. Wise decision banning calling a scab a scab. Well, this week, they never learn. Two-year bond, a $1,000 fine for the most frightening intimidation of another person who just wants to go to work, just doing his job. When a fair work, Troublewazi, Jack Boots, commission inspector, walked into the Barangaroo site in Sydney during a union blockade, this evil organiser grabbed a megaphone. Oh, listener, to what depths has evil sunk? Grabbed a megaphone and sang, Who let the dogs out? Can we imagine anything so evil, so vile? On those hate laws preventing such basic and desirable everyday freedoms as insulting and offending anyone we want to insult and offend, the true he dear baby Jesus lobby still wants those laws waived for this marriage equality plebiscite. Not that, as dear baby Jesus' dedicated followers, they would ignore the love thy neighbour bit. It's just that there are certain people you don't want as neighbours. But the big worry is they mightn't get to the plebiscite in the first place so they can express their hatred, righteous, just hatred of non-neighbours. The dear baby Jesus followers tell us every single person who voted in that recent farce went there to ensure we have a, have a plebiscite. The plebiscite apparently the only reason they voted front of mind. And the bloody long-haired cobby lot want an undemocratic solution like allowing Parliament to vote on marriage equality. This is a matter the people should decide based on the balanced, sensible arguments we will contribute to expose the sinful, pagan, evil life of these vile threats to social order to the dear baby Jesus Christian family in which uppity women know their place. They spit, or sorry, they express their, uh, with Christian gentility. 
Uh, then when the little bald-headed bloke who used to be Big Supremo in the last dark ages just walked into Parliament and changed the wording to express expressly, marriage can only be equal when it's between a man and a woman, uh, why didn't that require a, a, a plebiscite? Because he was speaking for the dear baby Jesus. That's obvious, you commie clot, which a despicable threat like you would understand if you would only accept the dear baby Jesus into your miserable life and love thy neighbour. Notice this Catholic priest in country New South Wales sent a thoroughly researched article to parents at the parish school telling them IVF-conceived children were born out of sin. Obviously a revelation from the dear baby himself showing there are good between a man and a woman and evil mortal sin between a man and a woman. That priest should get on swimmingly with that one notion of Pauling Hoonsun bloke who knows scientists have no idea what they're talking about. Following a renewable energy report, the Minister for Fossils, Josh Frydem Icebergs, denied an interview with suggesting the government wasn't working hard enough on the issue. That's rubbish. Josh made a lot of sense. Convincing people, or at least enough people, that you're doing something about the issue while doing absolutely nothing is bloody hard work. Excited scene from the Lord Rupert of Wapping Sin newsroom Thursday night as a breathless journo dashed into the editor's office. The government's been rolled three times on the floor of the house, she panted. Fantastic, great news. Hold the front page. Socialist government crisis. Rebels turn on Dan. Evil union power smashed. Whip up an editorial. Dan has no choice but to resign. Uh, no, 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 not Dan. Malcolm, the federal government. Oh, uh, uh, oh, look, uh, inside left-hand page, socialists abuse power, socialists play games to camouflage policy vacuum, uh, bury it, it's, it's so insignificant. No, seriously, good to see the leader of government business in the House, Christopher Payne, in there, declare, direct quote, there's no point in making a point out of, etc., which I thought redolent of his usual common sense and logic, because if the point was made to point the finger, it would point at him. So, good point, Christopher. But in the other place, never thought we'd be calling for help from that appalling moon son, but she must, like us, be distressed, angry at this latest racist move in her state. These racist, terra nullius people taking advantage of the foot in the door. We knew they wouldn't stop there, wouldn't be satisfied by removing that great explorer of this great country, Air, from the rock named after him, Uluru. Where did that racist, racist name come from? And now, Stradbroke Island, named after another great white discoverer in this great country, the Terra Nullius Parvenus, people who weren't even here when the great explorers and discoverers explored and discovered. Now the same Terra Nullius racists want to change Stradbroke Island to Menjeribar. But Jerobach, claiming it predates Stradbroke, well, Lord Stradbroke was the father of the great man who named it, predates when the island was clearly terra nullius, the, the King of England said so. And for goodness sake, the biggest horse race in that state is the Stradbroke Handicap. 
Imagine the racists getting away with calling this great race the Menjerabah Handicap. That's the sort of consequence that can occur when racists run riot. So let's call on that appalling hoonsun to ensure our white sacred history and sacred sites are preserved. Back on state big supremo hoo-hoo, whom Lord Rupert calls the pejorative Dan, the whopping sin had this blazing headline that Dan had met an evil union boss and had not recorded the meeting in his diary. Oh, worse. The week that was can reveal on June 11 last year at 9.42am, he went to the toilet and failed to mention that in his diary. That US of the UN of the US of the world jet, when an engine blew up and fell off, the airline spokesperson was pretty spot on after the pilot managed to land it safely at the nearest airport. It was due to a mechanical fault, he informed us, and I thought, yeah, an engine blowing up and falling off could be deemed a mechanical fault. And bit surprising as True Blue was, he just loved this white True Blue country fascists got together Sunday to protest over evil Muslims being allowed to live here. Bit surprising, given we know from reliable sources like the fascists themselves and Lord Rupert of Wapping and the, sorry, the constabulary, that violence at these events is always instigated by the left anti-fascist thugs on the peace-loving, gentle fascists, that when the long-haired commie wouldn't work in an iron anti-fascist like didn't show up, the poor fascists were forced to beat the proverbial out of each other. On beating the proverbial out of, um, would-be would U.S.R. Big Supremo Donald Trample the Poor headed to Mexico to build bridges over building fences and told them building a fence would be a joint venture. We'll build it and you'll pay for it. This socialist senator, Sam Bastardry, has come under attack for accepting money from a Chinese businessman to pay a travel bill. Senator Bastardry is a puppet of the Chinese communists. Attorney General George Brandy's brain looked very concerned. Uh, but your party has taken huge donations, millions from Chinese businesses. There is no relationship. We are dealing with Chinese capitalists who respect market forces, who generate employment and profit for the common good, unlike evil communists and their supporters, their puppets like Senator Bastardry, who are the antithesis of the common good. The same business that paid Bastardry's bill gave you millions. There is no doubt this business gives money to the Caring Business Class Party in its capacity as a responsible market forces capitalist business in a capitalist country, but pays Senator Bastardry's bill as a communist country trapping him in this evil communist web to support their aggression in the South China Sea, which everyone knows is a legal maritime possession of the USA recognized as such by the US of the UN of the US of the world and therefore by True Blue Aussie. The US of was also fighting aggression in another US of possession when Iranian boats came threateningly close to the US of train killer fleet off the Iranian coast. We need no more proof of the aggressive intent of the Iranian government than this presence of Iranian boats off the Iranian coast encroaching on U.S. maritime territory.
finally, in its US of the world watchdog and protector role, we know the US of can sue any company or person in any part of the world for breaking its corporate profit laws. And we learned this week it gave thousands to a whistleblower who allowed it to find bloody huge profits for half a million or so, prompting the aforementioned capitalist review to comment on how its whistleblower laws so encourage corporate whistleblowers. So what great news for Edward Snowden and Julian Assange. We can but ponder on what massive compensation they'll cop from the good old God bless America US of government. Good morning. Good morning, Uncle Cameron, and thank you for that. Um, we'll go straight on to Humphrey McQueen, who's a political commentator and a well-known journalist, too. Morning, Humphrey. Good morning. Welcome to 3CR's Royal Daddy Breakfast. <laughs> yes, indeed, indeed. Fun and games everywhere. I know. Now, now you're going oh, to take well. on a few things here. Um, well... Yet again, looking at the state of the global economy, um, up on the website, the version up there has begins with a lot of quotes and references to people who are in a better position than any of us to know what is going on in their system. Uh, we don't have time to go into all of those, but there's one of them, one piece of uh, wisdom from the masters of the universe that I can't. Uh, prevent myself from sharing with us to start with. <laughs> yes. And that's from Lord Rothschild. Yes. Now, if anyone knows, Lord Rothschild should. And yes. he told his shareholders a couple of weeks ago that by keeping interest rates below zero and pumping money out at the rate they've been doing, the central banks, he said, have conducted the biggest experiment in financial policy in the history of the world. Hmm. And no one knows how it's going to turn out. And that sounds like a bit of a warning, doesn't it? Yes, it does. It does. Uh, mildly put in the way that you would. So what I want to do, though, is to look at the Australian banks today. We've been looking around the world for the last little bit. But I want to try and tie in what the Australian banks are up to and how that fits in. And there there are three stories, I suppose. One of them, you know, the $9 billion profit declared by the Commonwealth Bank, oh, yes. the failure of the banks to pass on the full 25% in interest rate cuts, yep. and finally, the cries for a Royal Commission into the banks. Mm. Um, so they're the three things that you know, I want to try and weave together a bit. Now, just one simple thing about the $9 billion, and this applies to any profit declared by any company. The left sometimes gets itself all excited about a, a very big number. Yep. What's important is the rate. Mm. Like just very simply, not, if you invest, if you've got nine billion as your capital and you make nine billion, you've made a hundred percent. If, however, you've invested nine hundred billion, yes, and you make nine billion, yep. you've gone broke. Exactly. But you've still got nine billion. Mm. So the important point, and I just to make this point to opening, is that get beyond the very big number problem and look at the uh, uh, rate of return, because uh, that's really the crucial thing. Of course, there, we won't go into that now, those rates of return, like the very big number, are so manipulated by their accountants mm. that you can't actually be sure what the, what the kind of real numbers are. But mm. anyway, so that's the first point about the 
uh, $9 billion out of the Commonwealth Bank. People said, well, if they've made $9 billion, why aren't they passing on the full 25% uh, that the, that the uh, Reserve Bank said uh, they wanted to be uh, the cash rate to be um, uh, reduced by? Now, if we look into this, is it entirely a bad thing for working people? Because that's the question we've always got to ask. Mm-hmm. Um, not some abstract question, but is there anything in this which is not entirely a bad thing? I mean, it, on the face of it, they're going to make money, workers are going to pay more. That's obviously not good. But is it as simple as that? I want to suggest that it isn't quite as simple as that. Um, first of all, we've got to look at what the Reserve Bank itself is trying to do. And to do that, we've got to pull back and look at that the interest rate is the only arm of policy that the government has left, really, after the ALP's deregulation of the financial sector in the 1980s. Mm. So out of those, what I call, deforms, on the one hand, the Commonwealth has the whole... uh, budgetary process. I mean, it can influence the economy in that way. Now, there, of course, as we know, you've got to get your budget through the Senate. And so, you know, that's not a very effective arm in the last three or four years, as we've seen. Yes. Uh, and whatever you do there, it's going to take time to flow through. Mm. Uh, by the time you get it through the budget, then you've got to implement all the particular policies that you put into it, whether you're going to spend more or or cut back or tax more or tax here or there, shift it around. All of those things can influence it, but they're going to take time. But is that why the government was so strongly advocating that the banks actually passed the full 25% on to the, the consumers? I think it's partly that, and partly they are hoping. I mean, I mean they can see, um, I mean, Turnbull's been talking about how fragile the global economy is, and they have some sense of this. And so what they're trying to do is to stimulate any activity within the economy. I mean, the mining sector's gone down, the, the building construction sector is, a, you know, is on its way down yes. now. Mm. So they're hoping to do this, but there are dangers involved in this as, uh, as well, from their point of view. Also, of course, you know, the pressure to do it is, in a way, responding to popular pressure without their actually having to do anything. Of course, so they can yeah. kind of earn a couple of brownie, brownie points, points. Yeah. By, you know, by kind of saying, oh, we're on your side, yeah. but they're not actually going to do anything about it. Because um, there was a time in which the government had much more power over these things and could actually tell effectively the Reserve Bank what the interest rate should be. Uh, but, of course... The ALP, that was one of the things that um, with the financial deregulation, we've ended up with, a, an, with a, a reserve bank, a central bank that is now supposedly independent of any government policy. Mm. The fact that they all think the same way about, you know, sort of the nature of the capitalist system means that they're not actually very independent of each other at all. But course. the Reserve Bank is a private organisation. It's not a government no, no, no. organisation. Oh, no, 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 no. No. Hmm. It is, I mean, it, it's, it's a statutory authority. Oh, okay. 
but you know it, it's you know no, there are almost no private central banks left. The U.S. is a very complicated one, mm. but while you know private banks there have some input in through the structure, uh, it, I mean it's really um, you know, as much an arm of government um, as, as the Australian central bank. Um, but the Australian central bank, I mean they do appoint people who were bankers or connected with it, of a couple of them. But normally most of the people on the bank are pulled out of the, of the, of the uh, rest of the corporate system. Once, occasionally, you get a trade union official there, you know. But no, 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 it's a, it is That's another money. secretary authority. Mm. Mm. Now, they've got... I mean, they're, they're supposed to do two things. One is they're supposed to keep the rate of inflation under 3%, and they're supposed to keep unemployment under 5%. Now, these are very difficult to achieve at the same time when things aren't going well, and the real proof of that, of course, was during the recession we had to have. Oh, yes. um, when, in trying to bring inflation down, they drove unemployment up to about 11 or 12%. Mm. Um, so, um, so, however... There's another issue that governments and the Reserve Bank have to try to do something about, and that's not the interest rate. That's the exchange rate. What is the Australian dollar worth, or how much can you uh, get for it, if, you, if, you know, if you're going overseas on a holiday, is the simple example that most people ever, ever encounter this problem for. Yes. Now, in December 1983, in what is probably the biggest deform and most influential deform that the ALP introduced, they floated the uh, exchange rate and that opened the door to the speculators and all the vultures. Yep. Now, the Reserve Bank's cash rate is now bound hand, hand and foot to trying to influence the foreign exchange rate. So they're not only trying to do something about employment and um, inflation directly, they're also trying to do something about it indirectly mm. through influencing what the exchange rate is. Now, how does all this fit together? Well, as we said in the beginning, interest rates around the world are below zero. Mm. Our interest rates here, you know, depending how much you've got, are, you know, you could, after inflation, you're still able to earn about 1, 1.5% mm. here which you almost nowhere else in the in the safe world where you can actually do that. So a lot of people, you know, when I say people, we're talking about institutions, are putting money into Australia. This has kept the value of the Australian, uh, the uh, Aussie dollar up. Now, while the mining boom's going down, it should have gone down to 70%, it should have gone down to 70 cents, perhaps even 65. Um, instead of which, it's about 75 and... A bit up from there. Mm. Now, the problem with that is that it means that imports are cheaper. Yeah. So that local manufacturers find it harder to compete. Mm. And local manufacturers also, and farmers, find it harder to sell their stuff overseas. So this has an effect on you know, profitability, employment, all of those things within Australia. So the Reserve Bank... Dealing with this greatest experiment the world's ever seen, according to Lord Rothschild, it thinks if it cuts the cash rate, 
this will make Australia less attractive. And therefore, the exchange rate at least will hold at 75. It may even go down to 73 or something. So they're trying to do that at the same time. Um, so this is the competing problems that they have mm. that they're trying to cope with. Now, of course, having a low interest rate produces other uh, consequences. One of the things we've seen, of course, is the boom in Housing. rental construction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know, the people, um, you know, through the uh, negative gearing bit, mm. people think, oh, I can borrow money at, you know, yes. you know well, almost for free, you might say, yep. um, and I can, you know, put up, you know, enough money uh, for a deposit on uh, a commercial property. Um, and so we've seen that uh, big expanse. Now, a lower mortgage rate is clearly good for you if you're paying off your mortgage. Yeah. But if, you, if, you, if you're still trying to get into the housing market, if you're actually in the rental market, and, you know, I just noticed up the road from me, a one-bedroom unit in central Canberra is $350 a week. <laughs> Yes, when you multiply that by 52, I mean, it's almost as much as I get on the pension. Yes. You know, for a one-bedroom unit. You know, it's so, terrible. You know, you know, so, I mean, you can see why people want to own them mm. to rent out to other people, yep. but it has this other side to the effect as well. So let's look at the banks and why they don't want to push the interest rate down um, to the full 25%. Because they make money out of the interest rate on the um, housing loans that they make. Of course. Um, and if they cut their rate, very simply, they won't make as much. Mm. And if they earn less, they won't pay as much to their shareholders. Mm. Now, is that a problem for ordinary working people? Well, indirectly it can be, because if they're paying less to their shareholders, they attract less investment. And the pressure is on banks everywhere to keep a bigger reserve for the next financial storm. Mm. When Abbott got in, he set up a new inquiry into the financial system. And one of their big recommendations was that banks should hold more in reserve to be able to weather when the next financial storm hits. That was their recommendation. So that to do that, the banks have to be able to hold the investment they've got by paying you know, out to their shareholders and indeed attract more in or save it out of what they earn on their higher interest rates. So again, these complications that seem to operate within here are indeed linked to people's prospects about where the global economy is going. Um, now, if we go back to, to the last big financial storm, uh, 2008, working people in Australia were somewhat protected from it, from the worst of it, by three things. One, the government debt at the time was so low that the Commonwealth went in for big stimulus packages, including what are now called helicopter drops into yes. people's... Uh, Banks. Bank accounts. Yes. You know, and this, you know, people said, you know, we didn't have a recession. It's been 25 years since you've had two consecutive quarters in which there was 
zero or minus uh, advances in production. So we managed one of the few countries in the world that actually got through it without a technical recession. Hmm. The second thing was the construction phase of the mining boom was still underway. And governments at that stage were still getting a fair amount of tax. I don't say a fair uh, uh, rate of tax, but there was still quite a bit of money coming in from the mining sector. And the third thing was that because of better regulation here over what banks could do, there wasn't the irrational exuberance that brought ruin to the rest of the world. Yep, that's right. So they were the three things. Mm. Now, two of those have gone. Yep. We don't have that, um, you know, that zero amount of uh, government debt, nowhere near as disastrous as the government's carrying on about. You know, compared to the rest of the world. Mm. The construction phase of the mining boom's over, yep. and it looks as if the construction phase of the housing boom is also coming to an end. Yep. And that means, of course, that the uh, taxation take from both of those sectors uh, is going to shrink. Of course. So the only thing that we've got when the next Suzama, uh, uh, storm hits is a strong banking sector. And a strong banking sector within a capitalist society, because that's what we're talking about, unfortunately, within a capitalist society, that means they have to earn enough to keep their capital reserves high so that if there is a major problem again, they're able to get through it without having to be bailed out. Uh, because if they're bailed out, then, you know, it just means that taxpayers' money you know, yep. The things that ordinary workers have produced have to, have to go into doing that. Mm. So when we look at this, it's, you know, we can't just see it as thinking, oh, the banks are price gouging. They may be doing that, but within a capitalist system, in the current global um, weakness of the system um, and the uncertainties in it, there, are, can be a, there can be some protective advantages to working people from what's been happening. And it's up to the left, I think, to see behind the headlines and the screaming to get to this and say, this is why it's perhaps not an entirely bad thing. Because remember, if, if and when the banks do crash, it's not only the shareholders who are going to suffer, and it won't be the shareholders who will suffer first or the very most out of it. It's ordinary working people who are going to suffer most out of that. Absolutely. There are a few questions I want to ask on that, but I think we should move on to the Royal Commission. Well, perhaps. we've got a little bit of time. Just finally on the Royal Commission. Hmm. It's because of particular things like the interest rate, like the scams, like their criminal activities you know, against individual customers, there's obviously a big support for a Royal Commission into the banks. I think the left then can leave it up to, you know, to everybody else to to be able to clamour for that. We don't need to put our re limited resources into doing that. What we should do is to say, get beyond the particular scandals, look at not how individuals are being you know, uh, swindled. What we've got to look at is not just the banks, but the entire pack of financial institutions. Because 
in a deregulated financial system, it's not just the banks anymore. As we've seen, it's the accountants who, who tell lies on their behalf. Of course, It's the yes. people who are supposed to give us reports on how well they are, some of those things called ratings agencies. Mm. Uh, it has to look at all of those. And it also has to look at how the stock market and the foreign exchange market and the superannuation funds are all tied into this. And so what we need is an inquiry into the whole financial sector. Yep. And what we should be calling for is not a royal commission into this, but into a people's commission into the financial sector. I like that. So, so and remember that the ALP calls for a royal commission, but not for any re-regulation of the financial sector. Yep. They are as committed to a deregulated financial sector as anybody else anywhere in the world, including, one would presume, Lord Rothschild. They won't even call for a re-establishment of the People's Bank. Having sold off the Commonwealth Bank... Of course. That simple, you know, it wouldn't seem to be the most outrageous thing in the world to say, well, that $9 billion, if you're going to make it, why didn't that come back into public hands? That's right. So... They're the three things that we that I shall leave you with for this week. Thank you very much. But well, what I was going to ask you just before yeah. you run away is when yeah. you say the banks don't want the the workers' money to be used to salvage them if and when they collapse. Why would the banks care? So I, I kind of missed. Now, you said before that, you know, the, the bank would, wouldn't want to collapse for a start. And if they do, they do not want um, the workers to be paying, the workers want to be, to be used to bail them out. Oh, no, no. I didn't think. I mean, they would be quite happy for that. Yeah, I was that's saying, my thought, yeah. That's why I would think it's a bad thing. There are now pressures, however, and it's, it's happened in countries in the world, the poor Greeks have been made to pay for this. Yes. Instead of governments bailing the banks out, the depositors and the shareholders have to bail in. So that if you've got your savings in, you know, in the Commonwealth Bank, as we found in the uh, uh, Greek crisis, they're made to take some of that savings you've got to pay into the bank itself to keep it float. Uh, okay. Um, now, I don't mind that the shareholders are perhaps having to do this, yes, except exactly. now, of course, often the shareholders are, don't even know their shareholders through the superannuation funds. Yeah, it's all a bit complicated. So all of that complexity. Yes, okay. All right, there. thanks, Humphrey. Right. Okay, another thanks, month. Thank bye you, bye. bye. And we have come to the end of our program. And Asia Pacific Currents is waiting out there. And thank you to Jacob Rumbiak, the Foreign Trade and Foreign Affairs Minister for West Papua. And of course, Joe Lotto with the article on trade unions. And of course, Humphrey McQueen and not least, um, Kevin Healy. And for another fortnight, this is Lalita Chalaya saying goodbye. And thank you very much for listening. And this Asia Pacific Currents coming on in a few minutes.